And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Philip Wong. Good morning, Philip. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about proposals to enhance the protection of part-time workers. Under current arrangements, employees working at least 18 hours or more per week and employed for more than a month are entitled to a range of benefits offered to full-time staff, including paid annual leave, rest days and sickness allowances. But some employers are believed to arrange their part-time employees' schedules in a way that falls short of the 18 hours weekly requirement. In response, the Labour Department is reported to have suggested lowering the qualifying threshold by entitling employees who work 72 or 68 or 64 or 60 hours in four weeks to all statutory benefits, regardless of how many hours they work in a single week. Would this move better protect part-time workers? How about freelancers? And to what extent would extra operational costs place a burden on businesses? After 9.45, we look into ways to cut down on accidents involving pedestrians. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And joining us now on the line, we have Roy Ying, who's a co-chairperson of the Advocacy and Policy Research Committee at the Hong Kong Institute of Human Resources Management. Lam Chun Singh, a legislator with the Federation of Hong Kong and Kowloon Labour Unions. And uh, later on, we'll be uh, speaking to uh, a lawyer, Michael Zito from ONC Partners. Uh, but first, uh, um, Roy Ying, perhaps we can start with you. Good morning. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Philip. So uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, so uh, w- would you regard these uh, proposals uh, as a positive step in labour protection? Certainly. The Institute has discussed this and we feel that the uh, flexibility of uh, counting the working hours on a monthly basis uh, will close some loopholes and uh, and also bring a lot of benefits because uh, quite a lot of industries, especially those who are, that are seasonal, um, employees don't get regular hours on a week-to-week basis. Uh, some weeks they may have more and some weeks they may have less. So with this change, we feel that um, some employers may be motivated to offer more part-time jobs. And uh, employees, they have a lot more flexibilities in, in looking for uh, maybe one, maybe even two uh, part-time work uh, with this change. So we feel that this is a good step in the right direction, uh, perhaps uh, something that can um, increase the labor participation ratio. Uh, yeah, yeah, the scenario you describe is one of a, a, a necessity, and the uh, um, you know uh, the frequency of part-time work arising. But is, is there much uh, evidence, to your knowledge, of that some employers are, if you like, arranging their part-time workers' hours so they they don't have to meet the 18-hour-a-week requirement? Um, let's just face it. I mean, um, statutory policies um, are there to. Um, to be responded to, shall mm. I use the word. Mm. Um, uh, there are human resources rostering systems that ask the user to um, input the maximum number of hours 
that employees can work, mm. and therefore, um, employees, part-time employees, there's just no way they will work more than uh, the statutory limitation. So, uh, whatever the, um, the the maximum number of hours, that's it. Mm. Um, whether it's 72, 66, 60, um, employers will some employers will simply adjust their uh, minimum, uh, maximum threshold. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, uh, as I said earlier, this change closed the loophole, uh, whereby I do know that there are some employees who are rostered to work a lot of hours in three weeks and then not a lot of hours in the fourth week. That, that's, that's, that mm-hmm. is a loophole that we are closing this time. Mm, Mr. Ying, so uh, just for the listeners to understand, and as far as I remember, it's uh, basically uh, 18, not less, not more than 18 weeks for four consecutive weeks. Otherwise, that's considered as full time. So essentially, a lot of employers, um, they can basically get into this loophole where the first three weeks they hire someone for just like a regular office uh, job, Mondays to Fridays, nine to six, 45 hours for three consecutive weeks. And on the fourth week, they might hire them for less than 18 hours. And that's still considered as part-time. And that's one of the loopholes, isn't it? Um, I do agree. Some employers have done it. Um, I don't agree that's that's the right thing to do. But uh, yeah, it is a loophole. Mm. And what about Mr. Lam? You know, what, what, what do you think about uh, these uh, proposals? Um, yeah, because we urge the government to amend the employment ordinance, mainly because of uh, there's a loophole. Mm. We just, the, the reason is very simple, that we urge the government to plug the loophole. Uh, because in the current situation, uh, the definition of continuous contract is successively uh, four weeks and the workers had worked for 18 hours or more each week. But we, uh, we see many cases in our trade union and from our workers uh, because some of the employer arrange very long working hour in the first three weeks. But in the fourth week, only arrange maybe 70 hours. So he cannot reach the level 18 hours. They are not be entitled with other benefits, and they are not be regarded as continuous employment contract. And 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 although they may have uh, more than 100 working hour a month, and and the situation just like continuous contract, but the employer reduced the working hour in the fourth week so that the worker cannot entitle with the benefit. So there's a loophole. And I think um, um, it's a good direction that we calculate the working hour in total four weeks or one month uh, to calculate the working hour instead of consensually four weeks. Um, I think it's a consensus. Uh, we, we reach a consensus. but. Uh, uh, several years ago, we cannot reach a consensus on the level. This means it's how many working hours, 72 hours or 68 or 64 or 60 hours. But of course, we hope it can be set at 60 hours uh, in four weeks. Uh, it is a continuous employment contract and, and the workers have more rights and benefits, such as uh, holiday benefit, uh, annual leave and, and sick leave allowance, etc. Because now the existing situation is four weeks. 
and 18 hours. Um, this mean is about 72 hours, and we hope to reduce the level to 60 hours so that maybe more part-time worker can be benefited. Mm. Mm. So, Mr. Yeah. Lam, uh, so like you mentioned, part-time staff, they don't get to have annual leave, rest days and sickness allowances. But if they do, you know, if this proposal is made and they do convert to full-time, I suppose, then they will also have to probably follow the leave notice, usually, you know, a month for like a few weeks. Do you see some um, part-time employees not liking these uh, new arrangements? And I think I, I think our situation, our, our suggestion is just to uh, deal with the loophole, mm. because uh, for our suggestions, for those employer only arrange few working hours, maybe only ten hours a month, it will not have any impact to them. And for other uh, both of the employer and the employees, they have already have a continuous employment contract and provide many benefits to the workers, they also will not be affected. We, we just want to put the loophole for those workers, they have the right. Uh, they have the right to entitle the benefit, but they cannot enjoy the benefit mainly and only because of their employer reduce the working hour in the fourth week. For those um, uh, employers, if we amend the law and they may need to pay more benefit to the worker and and so i think we we just want to touch the loophole and for those worker who only have few working hour a month and i think they will uh, they will not have any impact mm. uh, uh, roy ying um, is there any yeah. concern that if these uh, if these proposals are adopted, uh, it could mean a, an, an extra burden on employers, for instance, having to pay uh, you know, um, annual leave, um, uh, you know, allowing annual paid leave, etc.? Well, let's, um, let's break this down into a few um, issues. For number one, um, um, the Institute welcomes this um, calculation on a monthly basis uh, versus a weekly basis. We don't think there will be much um, extra burden on the employers. Um, but when it comes to the maximum number of hours, 72 now, it's, it's you know, 18 times 4, that's 72. Yeah. That, is the, um, that is the current threshold. Um, if we are going to reduce it, obviously uh, employers will have to respond. And, um, and as I said earlier, some employees will simply set at maybe one hour less than the maximum threshold. And, um, and I quite agree with what um, Lamb said earlier, that they would just, some employers will have to hire more, more uh, part-time workers. That is the number one impact. Um, the other thing is there may be some unintended consequences, um, especially to the employees. Um, reduction of hours also mean less pay. Um, some of these workers, um, they might have to find an extra part-time job. Now, that is on one end of the spectrum. Um, on the other hand, um, it is quite possible that some part-time workers will end up having more than one continuous employment relationship with two or more employers. And uh, now that comes pretty complicated because um, who's the boss? Um, 
there may be some clarity as to how to avoid conflict mm. when there are more than one employer and uh, and if the if the worker is wanted to work on the same day and uh, how does the worker um, how the he or she should respond these are some of the unintended consequences that we see that we need some clarity too mm. yeah sure uh, uh, Lam Chun Singh what's your opinion there I, I mean I mean for instance uh, uh, many sectors are uh, telling us that uh, they're experiencing a labor shortage at the moment uh, do you think these proposals would make it uh, easier for uh, um, for part-time workers to have like more than one uh, job uh, and would that help to ease this ease the shortage in the labor market and um, and because uh, although some some people may think that after the uh, amendment of the law and there may be more part-time workers uh, because uh, uh, if, for example if we set uh, at uh, let's say 64 hours and the employer will only arrange 63 hours and if we set at 60 hour the employer may only arrange 59 working hour a month um, but i think it's very difficult to operate uh, because now in the existing situation is uh, more easy for the employer to do that because the employer just uh, reduced the working hour in the fourth week it's more easy to do that and only uh, and can also maintain the operation of the company but if the company only arrange 59 working hour a month uh, for their employees it's difficult to operate i think and they may need to recruit more workers and more administrative costs. And I think they do not have the incentive to do that. We just want to reduce the incentive of the employer to avoid the responsibility of continuous contract and 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 clutch the loophole. And and other and other point that I want to add is that. Um, uh, if I believe that if we set at 60 hour, four weeks uh, can be entitled with other benefit and we got as a continuous contract, maybe we can attract more female to join the workforce. Uh, because for many female, uh, most of them, they need to take care of their children and family members and they cannot afford a very long working hour job and maybe can only have a job with about 60 to 70 hours a month so that it, it can make a balance uh, between uh, uh, taking care of uh, their uh, children and family members. But uh, if you tell them uh, you just uh, work uh, 60 to 70 hours a month, and you will be regarded as a continuous contract and get more benefits such as uh, uh, annual leave, uh, sick leave allowance. Maybe we can attract more female to join the workforce and can release the female workforce. And maybe we can release the problem of labor shortage in some industry a little bit, I think. Oh, Mr. Lam, uh, I think that's uh, something that's a, a good way to look into it. But I think the current unemployment rate in Hong Kong is actually less than 3%. So, I mean, short term wise, is it, is it really going to help a lot? Um, I, I think for, for some industry, I think uh, because uh, uh, for some, for example, the frontline service uh, industry, uh, we need more 
female to join the workforce, but because uh, 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 it's difficult for the female to uh, ha- get a job for very long working hours uh, because they need to take care of their children. But I think if you you tell them. You, you, you just need to work uh, 60 to, uh, uh, to 70 hours a month, and maybe we can attract some of the female to join the workforce um, because they, they have uh, uh, sick leave allowance and also even the long service payment and, and paid annual leave. And in fact, maybe a little bit, we can attract some of the female to join uh, especially for some frontline service industry. Mm-hmm. Do, did you uh, agree with that, uh, Roy Ying? It might be might be good to you know a way of bringing more women back into the workforce. Well, I, I do agree with um, the government's need to encourage more women to um, join or rejoin the workforce. That's one of the things that um, that it's um, you know that that can be potentially help yeah. the uh, manpower shortage. We discussed this, uh, how to in, uh, encourage women to uh, join the workforce in the institute. Now, um, I'm not quite sure if uh, the number of working hours matter. It's the mode of work. Um, I believe Lam is talking about uh, women who have to take care of children, young children. So it's really about uh, whether there's flexibility, working from home, or the number of hours fit the, the children's school hours. Um, the the availability of nursery these are the main issues as to the number of hours it's it's you know 60 65 70 it doesn't really make much difference so um, if the government is I mean I do agree this um, if we are going to um, increase more people um, whether it be women or ethnic minorities or, or elderly to to join or rejoin the workforce um, maybe it's time to um, to start a discussion, uh, leveraging on on this change of the employment ordinance. Uh, Mr. Uh, Yang, so you mentioned earlier about the unintended consequences, and I didn't really think about it. But now that you mention it, you know it's going to be difficult for uh, a, a part time if they do convert to full time because of these uh, new um, proposals. They might have to find two or three new like quote quote unquote full time jobs and it might be very difficult to, to to actually implement. So I'm just wondering if 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 there should be more, I guess, not just one set of like sixty hours for example, like different choices for the employee to, to choose, will that help? Um well the the government hasn't come up with the um the document so mm-hmm. I, I can't really comment on whether it is appropriate but mm-hmm. But just thinking out, I mean, we were just having a conversation mm. in, in the university that I work for. We do have a lot, quite a lot of part-time teachers. And we're wondering, oh, my God, if, if the number of hours lowered down to 60 hours, um, they will have to teach less. And they mm. will then have to get some other teaching assignments from other universities. And, um, and that could be a, a challenge if, um, if, if two universities become their full-time employers. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, well, you mentioned academia there. Uh, uh, what other sectors uh, are, would be particularly uh, impacted by this change? Um, I think a lot of the seasonal work uh, will be impacted. Let's just use the um, let's say exhibition, for example. 
Mm. Um, you know that the trade shows, they usually run for four days, five days, and, uh, and it's really long hours. And potentially, the, um, you know, uh, in one week, um, it's 60, 70 hours. That's it. And if the, um, if the uh, employee need, wants to work extra, they will have to find um, a different uh, employer to uh, to get them to work on a di- on a second week so um, I do think if the same employer wants the same employee for for, for consecutive weeks yeah, they they should be considered full time but if if the person is only interested in working part time um, you know having a, a, a full week but then have the rest of the month off but I, I believe a, a part time employment it's uh, it's suitable for them. Oh, and Mr. Lamb, I know you have to leave in a few, uh, in a few minutes, so I just want to diverge very quickly from part-time into full-time because that invo- involves me. Should there be a review for uh, full-time as well? Um, I, I think because uh, um, um, maybe for the for the most of the employer, I think um, they they already. Uh, employ their their workers uh, by a continuous employment contract and and also provide so many benefits to the workers and and they will not be they will not be affected but uh, of course uh, some people may think that it will uh, create a financial burden to the employer because uh, you uh, more maybe more part-time workers become continuous contract and you need to pay the benefits. Uh, but I think is uh, not the situation, not like the minimum wages uh, level adjustment, I think. Uh, the, the employer, if, if the amendment of the law passed, and the employer do not need to increase the salary of the worker, but just offer uh, more holiday benefit to the workers, um, um, just like uh, sick leave allowance and, and statutory holiday and, and the pay annual leave. And, and for in some situation and some job position, and if a worker have uh, annual leave, uh, have a holiday, and the employer, in fact, is, do not but, uh, do not need to. Uh, recruit new worker to subsidy. So uh, the cost increase that is limited, uh, I think, and for most of the employer, I think uh, uh, they can afford it. And what about uh, Mr. Ying? What do you think? Do you think, I mean, like full-time workers, there should be a review on that as well, just to better protect them? Um, the full-time employees, the, the employment ordinance is quite well written. Mm. I do think it, the um, the uh, uh, what Lam says about wage protection, retirement, holiday leave, family benefits, it's it's fine. Um, I think it's just a matter of enforcing the the existing um, uh, uh, legislation. Thank, thank you. Well, I'm just saying it because I do want. 38 days of annual leave, right? So that'd be amazing. Um, annual leave, yeah, I, I do think it's, but it's, it's, um, I'm not saying it's, it's going to be a burden mm. of, on the employers. Uh, certainly some employers will feel that way, but, uh, but others don't. Um, with the rise of technology, I mean, we, we, we see ourselves working all the time. Mm. And, uh, and um, because, uh, but at the same time, 
with the rise of technology, some frontline workers may not have to work so so many long hours. Some some of some of the process can be automated. So, um, in terms of uh, 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 annual leave, um, I do think there there could be a review, but uh, but we need to be very careful in into how we uh, engage different stakeholders and seek their views. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, working patterns have uh, certainly changed, haven't they, as a, as a result of uh, technology. But um, anyway, uh, we're going to take a, a short break now because uh, um, we're going to have a, a news summary followed by a couple of uh, government announcements. Uh, at this point, we say uh, thank you very much to Lam Chun Singh, who's uh, a lawmaker with the Federation of Hong Kong and Kowloon Labour Unions. And uh, we'll be back uh, in a moment to continue the conversation with Roy Ying. And we'll also be joined by Michael Sito, who's a partner with uh, ONC Lawyers in our Admiralty studio. A quick look at the weather. It's going to be mainly cloudy uh, with a few showers, isolated thunderstorms. Uh, hot today, top temperature around uh, 32 degrees, uh, moderate southwesterly winds. The outlook uh, very hot with sunny periods in the next couple of days. Uh, weather becoming unsettled gradually in the latter part of this week. Uh, currently now it is 30 degrees, humidity at 79% and the thunderstorm warning is in effect and will remain so until 10.30 this morning. Now the new summary with Ben Che. Mainland officials say the number of people killed in a mudslide in the northern province of Shaanxi has risen to 21. Emergency services say six people are still missing. Niger's coup leaders say they will prosecute the deposed President Mohamed Bazoum for high treason and undermining the security of the country. According to a statement read out on national television, they claim they had gathered evidence that it would use to prosecute Mr. Bazoum. Mr. Bazoum has been held in his presidential residence along with his son and wife since the day of the coup. And the U.S. state of Hawaii is bracing itself for a significant rise in casualties following deadly wildfires in which 93 people are now known to have died. Search teams are continuing to scour the remains of burnt-out buildings and vehicles on the island of Maui. Anger is growing at how the authorities have been responding to the disaster. I'll have more news at 10. The bank wants me to click this link to confirm a transfer. A government department called and says I've broken the law. It asked me to click this link to enter login details. A new payee in my bank account? Do I need to click this link to check? Banks will never ask you to log into your internet banking account or provide personal information through links in SMS messages or email. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority reminds you, protect your personal digital keys. Beware of fraudulent links. Cannabis is a dangerous drug. From February 1st, 2023, cannabidiol or CBD is also a dangerous drug under the law. It is illegal to possess or trade CBD products in Hong Kong without permission. Also, don't bring any CBD products into Hong Kong from abroad. Trafficking or sales of CBD products will be subject to a maximum fine of $5 million and life imprisonment. Visit the Narcotics Division's webpage on CBD for details. CBD, not for me. Let's stand firm. Knock drugs out. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 and have your say. 
And welcome back to Back Chat uh, with Philip Wong and me, Jim Gould. And uh, this morning, in our main topic, we're talking about uh, protection for part-time workers. Uh, just a, a quick reminder of what the uh, apparent uh, proposals are, because at the moment, um, part-time employees, uh, well, uh, employees who work at least 18 hours or more per week and are employed for more than a month are entitled to a range of benefits uh, including paid annual leave, rest days and sick day allowances. Uh, the proposal from the Labour Department uh, is apparently to uh, lower that threshold a bit, entitling employees who work uh, between 72 or 60 hours over a four-week period um, to uh, be entitled to those benefits regarded of how many hours they work in a single week. Um, we have with us uh, Roy Ying, who's a co-chairperson of the Advocacy and Policy Research Committee at the Hong Kong Institute of Human Resources Management. And also joining us now is uh, Tony C. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. I'm sorry about that. Also joining us now is Michael Sito, who's a partner with... Uh, ONC lawyers. Um, Michael Sito, uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Um, um, in email here from a listener, Mike says, uh, contract workers, no restrictions or benefits apply. You're wasting your breath trying to protect the part-time worker group employees. Employers simply change their title and problem solved. In, um, from a, a legal perspective, um, how easy or difficult would it be to introduce these proposed changes? Um, Okay, I'm just going to break it down into two parts. Yeah. Um, if it is about, um, uh, we're talking about the 418 um, early on, so now we're lowering the threshold. Um, I think the, um, the difficulty or the issue with it beforehand is, um, it, um, according to law, the law as it is, um, how do you count the 418? It should be 18 hours or more in that week. So mm. you can prick that break that continuity by not having uh, 18 hours or more in a week so it breaks so you don't get the 418 now the um, proposed amendments and the, or the suggestion is you, you don't count each week but you count it as a, uh, as a whole a totality of, for month. the four weeks yep. so that solves the problem or well it helps to um, alleviate the um, issues anyway but it depends on what figures you plug in now regarding the um the question that you asked earlier, um, um, as opposed to contract and employee, is not so much as a title per se. Um, how the court will... Well, you need to be an employee and, and you have 418. Then the employment ordinance kicks in. And then once the employment ordinance kicks in, it depends on how long is your continuous contract because various benefits from the employee's um, perspective um, say... you after you reach a certain number of years, let's say, for example, severance payment doesn't come into play unless you have been working for the same employer for two years or more. Mm. Or, for example, like long service payment, that doesn't come into play until you have worked for the um, same employer for five years or more. So it gets you somewhere, but, you know, like the, the level of benefits or protection that you get um, after reaching the um, continuous contract threshold varies depending on... Um, you know which sections of the ordinance now what the um the contractor is a different concept because the contractor may or may not be an employee, so it depends on you know the 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 nature so um and how you look at it um the court uh, the court of final appeal has given um, guidelines on um how to distinguish between a contractor who is uh, basically a self employed person so he is his own boss he's not an employee and then um it there are a number of factors to look at it, um, and 
generally speaking, you, the, the court will look at the, um, the totality of the whole things and, and a lot of factors. So it goes back, you know, like it's a similar issue to what we had a few weeks ago, like with the um, gig workers and things, whether they're mm. employee or contractors. Mm. Mm. Uh, Mr. Sito. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Sito. Um, so... Uh, Mr. Yang earlier mentioned about you know some unintended consequences. Now the whole point of these suggestions <clears throat> is to give protection to the part-time workers, um, and these unintended consequences that uh, Mr. Ying mentioned, like for example, they might, these part-time workers might have to consider having if these proposals are you know made, they have to might have to get two to three full-time jobs, basically. I mean, from a loss perspective, you know, and because because it, once you get into a full-time job, you have to consider, like, who's your employer, you know, how is it scheduled and, and all that. I mean, when it comes to law, my mind wakes, just basically explodes. But, but, I mean, are there serious, like, cons- like, changes that we'll need to make if these suggestions are, are made? Um, okay, like... Um so the question here is um, what if like um, you you basically have a new definition for the um, the foreign uh, the continuous contract so an employee is, is able to get a few full-time jobs is that mm. what the issue is okay yeah. um, that may or may not be governed by the employment ordinance because currently as it is it deals with the um, obligations of the between the employer and employee now as to whether an employee okay a part-time or not okay let's say it's a full-time job whether it can, it can takes up two employment at the same time, that would that would usually governed by the um, um, their contract. So, say for example, um, if there's a contractual term, you know that says that well, you can't, you know, you can't take up other employment unless um, unless you have the um, the the consent of the current employer. Then that employee, strictly speaking, shouldn't be getting another job. So um, mm. it goes back to you know like the roots and on fundamentals of the employment law because you know back in the old old days and you know the, basically the concept that you can't be a same servant for two masters so you know like you can't be working for two employers at the same time but of course now it's, time has changed now so it you know is subject to negotiation i guess mm-hmm. okay uh, uh, another email here from a uh, uh, listener bay which uh, uh, you might be able to help with uh, michael zito says uh, <clears throat> Thank you for this interesting topic. I work as a freelancer in Hong Kong for several companies. I work for one newspaper where I go into the office three days a week, which adds up to 24 hours per week, so around 96 hours a month. I have an agreement, not a contract. I don't get any annual leave, MPF or any other benefits. Would this new rule apply to me as a freelancer? Okay. um, It... Of course, number one, it goes back to you know to the to the um, issue that I mentioned earlier. You know, like it's not just the number of hours; it depends on your nature of your work. You see, so let's say you know because um, that writer um, said he's a freelancer. In fact, I was just I was just wondering for a fleeting second whether it is actually a dog friend because you know this, a, a friend of mine who walks dogs you know fits that description. But oh, anyways, right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, if he's a freelancer, say for example, like you know. Um, He's on a contract basis, so like he can do other work, you know, like and he's like basically in control of his like financial situation, you know, like the risks, various factors. It seems to me it points towards more than an independent contractor relationship rather than an you know employee. But let's pretend that you know, like for the sake of the discussion, let's say you know, like he is you know the factual um, 
factors, the boxes, you know, are ticks, you know, it leans more towards an employee. Then, you know, like once he's determined that as an employee, then we look at the number of hours that he worked, and let's say 96 hours now, you know, like fits into the new amendment, then, you know, he can benefit from the employment ordinance. Mm-hmm. And, and also other related ordinances as well, like employee compensation ordinance, which depends on whether you are an employee or not. Mm. And, and Mr. Yang, you know, aside from looking into the hours, you know, the 72, 68 over a period of one month rather than a week, any other suggestions that you would like to, uh, you know, make? Um, yeah, I do think because um, in, in our university, we do have um, um, uh, focus groups and surveys with uh, graduating students. Um, I mean, last time I saw 15% of our graduates are not interested in full-time employment, mm-hmm. and, uh, and meaning they either get into gig works or they have a lot of freelance or, or part-time work. And this number is increasing. So um, I think um, the employers will have to think of a way to get things done, knowing that um, part-time and gig works is going to be uh, one part of their quote-unquote workforce. Um, how, how I mean, it's it's all a supply and demand situation. I mean, how should employers be uh, making the these gigs attractive to the uh, to the young people, and how should the government be responding with the right policy? It, it is. I think it's a bigger discussion than just looking at the number of hours per week or, or per month. Um, I think that that should be a, a bigger, a, a much wider discussion on this on this uh, subject. It's, a, it's very interesting what you say there. So 15% of graduates are not interested in full-time employment. Uh, that's quite a large number proportion. Well, I have to qualify it, that. Yeah. I mean, some will want to get into their own business. Some will right. want to further studies. And that, that's all part of the 15. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you, you did say as well it's an increasing trend. Is that, is, yeah, what, it is, what's, yeah. what's, mm-hmm. what's the reason for that? Well, I believe the um, the pandemic has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the, they've been uh, stuck at home for so long, and uh, the mode of work to them, it's very, very important. Even for those who uh, want to work full-time, um, the mode of work is actually becoming very important to them. Some of them actually even ask if they could work from home one or two days a week, uh, you know, uh, hybrid mode of work is, is something that it's almost like expected um, the other is um, obviously they uh, have not been able to commit to an industry that they like um, and therefore they would like to try many other industries before they want to um, start working full-time for a company or for a you know in, in industry so these are the, the two reasons that I come up with uh, from our surveys and, and, and focus group of students. Mm-hmm. And what about uh, Mr. Sito? Just out of you know curiosity, what are your thoughts you know on these recommendations? And does it really, I don't know, does it really affect your side of the industry? Um, okay, like um, I don't, I haven't done any stats or anything, but you know, like that's just you know my speculation and understanding from the juniors I work close to, and you know, like just from talking with young people. It seems that, you know, like, they like the idea of the flexibility. They like the idea of, like, you know, like, t- taking up, like, um, different challenges and things. And, you know, like, if it is about addressing that, then, you know, changing the definition of continuous employment on its own is not going to do the job. I, um, because we, you know, like, at, you know, at the background of all that, we have a system that we look into whether somebody's a contractor or uh, an employee. So... 
there's no in between. So, you know, like a gig worker, it depends, you know, like how you look at it. So, you know, he can be an employee or, you know, he can be an independent contractor or maybe something new. So if you want to look after the interests of that, in, um, of that group of, you know, that new breed, then, you know, like you may want to change the law to have, um, you know, intermediate categories or, you know, like they have certain benefits, but, you know, like in a lesser potency, so to speak. So it, you know, it. That goes to legislation. <laughs> mm. In terms of like, you know, the law and legislations, if this was to happen, should there be, you know, an open communication between the employees and the employers just to get a side of like both sides of the story? Well, of course, you know, like uh, I think that's sensible for, you know, any form of legislation. So I think, you know, all stakeholders should be involved and have a proper discussion mm. because once you make it a mandatory legislation, then, you know, like us lawyers or you know like people in the legal industry you know like different players you know it could be the court it could be you know like um you know barristers solicitors you know we will be advising them you know or interpreting the law as the rules are obviously the government wants to attract talent we've got various schemes to attract talent at the moment we're trying to boost and increase the workforce um how do our labor laws and sort of laws covering what we've been discussing this morning i mean how do they compare with like comparable jurisdictions would you say um in so far as i'm aware like um okay for if we compare you know for the purposes of like gig workers Singapore has made, um, you know, some amendments, um, but, and I, you know, from what I've read in the newspapers, they seem to be, um, you know, they are making the amendments this year. They, you know, they should be coming into play. And the idea is what they have is like, um, you know, that the gig workers will get some protection, for example, like, um, you know, in terms of MPF and, you know, some of our holidays and things. So, and also they um, sort of like, um, you know, insurance, cov- uh, mandatory insurance covering, you know, like accident at work. So, you know, these could be something that we could be looking into, you mm. know, like say, you know, because we, we are, you know, quite close to Singapore and lifestyle, you know, like in, in certain ways are similar, you know, so they, are, they, they find it worth it making those changes. Maybe it, these are things that we could consider. Okay, okay. Well, a very interesting discussion. I'm sorry we're out of time for this uh, segment of this morning's uh, programme, but uh, thanks very much there to Michael Sito, a partner at uh, ONC Lawyers, and uh, thank you very much to Roy Ying, co-chairperson of the Advisory and Policy Research Committee at the Hong Kong Institute of Human Resources Management. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hi, I'm Michael Ting, Roundtable Legislator. I want to congratulate RTHK on its uh, 95th birthday. And I've always been a fan of RTHK. I think over the years they've done a very good job balancing the needs of citizens to have transparency and factual use. So I congratulate them and I believe that they will continue to do the same. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned tuned. with Hong Kong. And for the last part of this morning's programme, we're turning our attention to 
a different topic, and that is uh, road safety and ways to cut down, hopefully, on uh, accidents involving pedestrians. Uh, we're joined now on the line uh, by uh, Tony C., who's Assistant Professor at the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering and a road safety uh, researcher. Good morning to you. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Um, um, so it seems from the statistics that there, there's been an increase in the number of, of accidents uh, involving uh, pedestrians, uh, and a, a lot of them, about 60%, were, were elderly. Um, do you know, uh, how, how do we account for that uh, increase in the number of incidents? Um, I think the accidents involving pedestrians have been consistently high in Hong Kong over the years. So if you look at the number of people who die on the road, actually 60% are pedestrians. And I think the most dangerous spot in Hong Kong would be those uh, at the signal intersection because red light one lane of the pedestrian is actually a major cause of the accident. Right. We've got a, a major campaign starting today uh, involving uh, the police, the Road Safety Committee, uh, uh, to uh, try to prevent uh, jaywalking or, uh, um, um, you know, uh, well, it is fact, it's, it, the emphasis is on pedestrians as well as motorists. But uh, um, what are your expectations from this campaign? Um, I think uh, to, um, to us as a road safety researcher, it's always good to have such a campaign because it could actually uh, increase the awareness of the pedestrians. Uh, especially, we have actually did some research about the perceptions or how do the pedestrians think. Actually, if they are aware about the traffic rules, actually they are more likely to, to walk safely or cause safety on the road. Mm, but I I'm just thinking about, you know, the effectiveness of just doing one thing, for example, like, you know, sending policemen or relevant authorities to um, hotspots of um, those uh, uh, zebra walkings. Should should there also be like uh, advertisements and announcements, public, you know, announcements as well? Instead, So there are like two or maybe even three like prong approach to this? Um, I think there have been already some um, announcement or uh, uh, promotion over the years because, say, for example, on those, uh, we say, uh, black spots along the Leifen Road, Mong Kong, or some busy intersection, there have been some signs that indicate it's actually a dangerous intersection that the pedestrians have to pay attention yeah. And there's one, uh, I think in Mong Kok, they're implementing a new signal where they show a red light on the pavement as well. You know, how effective is that? Uh, I, I'm not sure how effective it is, but at least can actually uh, increase their awareness because I think the rationale would be that because uh, nowadays many people are using the smartphone that they are watching yeah. to the so that's why they, 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 they have such a, a technology or implementation. So, so, yeah. so a lot, a lot of pedestrians are, are not taking as much care as they should when it comes to crossing the road? Yes, and sometimes actually they intentionally cross the road because uh, it could be because of the long waiting time mm. at this, this busy intersection. Not only because they are not aware of but maybe sometimes they intentionally cross the road. So uh, in some other countries, some innovation like the signal countdown, say uh, displaying the number, uh, 
the time that remain uh, to the next green time, I think this kind of measure could be uh, also effective. Mm. Uh, okay, I've got an email here from a listener, GC, uh, which I'd like to read. Uh, GC's comment is, uh, to be even-handed, police should simultaneously ticket all drivers whose car encroaches on pedestrian crossings so that uh, pedestrians uh, have to thread their way through bonnets and bumpers when little green man shows it's supposedly safe to walk. An example of a big black spot is on Queen's Road Central between HSBC Main Building and Cheung Kong. Um, <clears throat> Uh, Tony C, what do you think about that? Thank you. Um, I think it's also a good message, but um, the the issue will be that to uh, the issue the ticket to the driver may be easier because nowadays we have the uh, camera and we can read the uh, license plate of the car. But the issue will be that for pedestrian, it's difficult. Uh, it's still uh, we still rely on the manual method to, say, uh, charge the pedestrian or to, to uh, encourage the pedestrian to, to walk safely. This lack of awareness that you know, you're talking about, I think it's, it happens all the time. But do you think it's been exasperated since COVID? I mean, during COVID, as you know, the pandemic, a lot of people stayed at home. And when they go out, I guess there'll be less, less traffic. So th- there, there's even less awareness of it now, isn't there? Um, it, it may not be a issue, but the, the issue is that uh, Hong Kong really have many pedestrians that mm. is ma- uh, much, much different than other parts of the world. Mm. It's the issues. And I think um, uh, uh, the infrastructure can actually pay, pay a role, say, some district like Central or uh, in Jim Sacher, there are many food beach. And really, in this kind of area, the number of pedestrian accidents are actually less. So the, the issue could be that how we can say encourage the pedestrian to use the footage under pass and uh, also maybe about the planning and development of the infrastructure that can better help the pedestrians could, could be help, helpful. OK, this anti-jaywalking campaign, it's going to involve uh, fines of uh, $2,000 if uh, pedestrians are caught crossing the road uh, uh, when they shouldn't, when the light is red or whatever. Um, how much of a disincentive uh, or incentive to obey the rules do you think that's going to be? Uh, I think it could be already very, uh, have a very strong uh, incentive to encourage the pedestrian because... 2000 is actually quite high if you compare to the speed uh, ticket that is mm. only about 600 only. Mm. Mm. Yeah. What, what, what is the, um, yeah. What is the extent of the problem uh, with uh, motorists uh, speeding? Uh, so, what do you mean? Uh, well, okay, because okay, I mean, I've noticed. I'm sure a lot of people have noticed. Uh, uh, you know, just w- walking around the streets, um, a lot of drivers um, appear at times to drive uh, too fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how much of an issue is that, and what can be done about that? What should be done about it? Uh, I think uh, government is already trying, say, in some district, like some pole, they implement a 30 kilometer uh, song, so to try to make the, the driver, to the vehicle, to, to move lower. Mm-hmm. And it, it could be good to the pedestrian. Mm-hmm. Right? 
Now, obviously, you know, pedestrians should be aware wherever they are. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. what are the, you know, black spots? Like, can you just let us, let the listeners know, let me know, you know, which areas to be aware of? Uh, some black spots that are already long, according to um number of accidents, would be along Leyton Road, like in Mong Kok, Prince Edward, and along Transatwan Road in Samsoi Po. And, you know, because of that, lo- it's a very, very long road. And I'm just yeah, yeah. wondering, you know, along the road, should there be more of those traffic cameras? Because as Jim mentioned, you know, a lot of cars, I think particularly in Hong Kong, yeah. myself included, we, we, <laughs> we drive, you know, people drive quite fast sometimes. And, yeah. and they don't really f- necessarily follow you know, <laughs> the rules as compared to drivers in the States or in Europe. Yeah, I think this uh, intersection, they already have the red light camera to to the vehicle. And nowadays, even some red light camera, they have the function that can even uh, take the driver if they drive too fast. Mm-hmm. So they have two functions in the same camera system. Mm-hmm. Is there, so um, are you satisfied with the level of enforcement then in that case? I mean, if, there's, if, there, if there are plenty of cameras around which can, uh, uh, you know, record uh, these incidents? Uh, I've, I think so. Of course, right. more would be, would be good. Mm. Yeah, but it, it depends on the resources that we have. But uh, if come to the issues about pedestrians, it, it still depends on the manual enforcement so the uh, so if i think it's difficult to Mm. To it, this, yeah, yeah. yeah. This uh, this road safety campaign that's uh, 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 kicking off today and the anti jaywalking uh, campaign uh, involves a, a great deal of publicity and, and posters being uh, placed at various uh, locations around uh, around the territory. Um, so, how how valuable is an event like this? And is there enough um, is there enough information targeted towards uh, younger people as well, young children, to teach them teach them good habits about road safety? Yes, I think uh, in the normal uh, education in the school, they or um, police or other organisation already organising many campaigns. I think mm. and other target group would be the elderly because we actually did some research uh, to observe the behavior of the pedestrian. Actually, you, we know in Hong Kong, quite a majority of people who want the red light are actually elderly people. So how to educate or how to promote the safety among them could also be, be a issue. Yeah, yes, yes. I mean, what, what, what can you say to, uh, to el- elderly people who... Uh you know who who do you know who don't obey the traffic rules. I mean, uh, older for older people, presumably it's more difficult to to switch their sort of you know their view to change their attitude. Yes, yes, I think so. Some maybe some education or promotion in the elderly centre or community centre may, may help. Or already some uh, social scientists, social worker are already doing doing try to do this. Okay. To promote safety among them. Alright, okay, well that's great. Thank you very much for speaking to us uh, on this morning's programme. I'm afraid uh, we're out of time. Um, that was uh, uh, Tony C, Assistant Professor at the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Uh, thanks uh, very much uh, to Philip Wong, our co-host, and our producer, Raphael.